3: Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road. Scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Jack Harrison back post cross of the podcast, flying off the boot, curling and gently dropping onto my teammate's head. And I'm joined by the Patrick Bamford header of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, cushioned, bouncing but unnervingly goal bound. And finally, the Luke Ailing pass after the run before of the podcast. Almost so good, but in the end, almost so bad. It's Tom Alderson, Tom Hady.
4: I'm good, thank you. If if, I, if I'm the Luke Haleen pass after the run, does that make you the mesemelier who has to clean up my mess in the end after i <laughs> go on a, a long run and don't actually make a point in the end?
3: <laughs> Something like that. We uh, we did warn you that you were going to be the at the uh, receiving end of one of these intros one day, so I thought, better sooner than later.
4: I'm at the sub in for Darren.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Darren lives to fight another day, but unfortunately you have to take the flack. Tom Woodhead, how are you?
1: Yeah not too bad. Um it felt good to have uh I think I was talking about this on the pod the other day um the first normal game out of the way um that didn't have any extra meanings to it other than just being a Premier League game really so yeah it was nice.
3: Yeah I've just realized that we've got two Toms on the podcast so this is going to be a it's going to be a fun one for me as the host. Um But yeah, let's just jump straight into it. We've had hundreds and hundreds of questions today, so we're going to try and get through as many of the topics as possible, if not all the individual questions. But as I said on the Twitter account, we did appreciate all of the questions that were sent in. Let's begin um, with, as we always begin, with a little bit of a chat just about how it felt. Um, Tom Woodhead, how did that feel? It felt
1: even. It felt like, uh, I think it felt like the sort of game that we expected it to be, like quite tight and both teams having chances, but not too many of them. Um, in general, it, it was it was nice to come out of it with a win because I think it was a fairly even game and it, it could have gone either way, really. But so, it, mm. it's but it's, not, it's always nice when we... I think if we get to a game like that at nil... Uh, if, if we get to half-time in a game like that at nil-nil, we nearly always play better in the second half, so I was pretty happy when we managed to you know get to that half-time and I felt quite confident that Bielsa would mm. shake things up a bit and improve us, and so it
3: happened. We had a question from Ezra Cohen, uh, Tom Alderson, saying, "Were we a bit, were we a bit lucky today? How would you answer that?"
4: Um, he's, he's probably right. Like we, it depends which uh, XG model you look at, but like some have us just ahead, some have Sheffield United just ahead. But they obviously had those two massive chances. Uh, there's, I think it was Lundstrom, and I can't remember who the other one was, but it was from a corner. Um, so whereas we didn't really make a massive chance, probably apart from the, the goal. Um, so we probably were a, a bit lucky in the end, but um, it's we've had it over the last couple of seasons that we don't get those matches go our way usually. Mm. So it is quite nice to get one of these. We'll probably
3: will will lead them in the Premier League.
1: You you your own luck, Tom. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's one of those ones, isn't it? Where so much of it comes down to aesthetics. I always think with Leeds, and you know we we did give up that chance as you mentioned um, the 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 McGoldrick sort of flicked pass to uh, Lundstrom, which. Um, was saved by Melier which was definitely a big chance I think it came up at about 0.47 in xg terms which is pretty big um and then I think there was um yeah there was the I think it was Jack Robinson is that his name or Joe Robinson I can never remember his name but at the back post from a corner um we had the Stuart Dallas dribble of the goalkeeper which he then weak-assed towards the goal and it didn't go in um so I think that was a fairly big chance as well. Um, again, probably not as big as a lot of people would have thought, but it was certainly a big chance. So it was bigger than 0.3, um, according to Statsbomb. Um, but yeah, I think w- with the aesthetic side of things, I think sometimes when our when our man marking falls down and we're sort of reshuffling, everything looks a little bit hectic and we look quite open. Um, and also, I would say, in terms of possession, we'll we'll hold the ball for much of the game. And I felt in the second half, you're right, Tom, that um, we did look a lot more assured um, after half time. Um, but again, we didn't translate that into a lot of clear cut chances. So it's one of those things where it's it's quite hard to really read the game. I think because we looked in con- control pretty much from this uh, half time onwards, um, apart from those big chances where you sort of give away. Guilt edge uh, opportunities to the opposition, and um, if they put those in, then you know it would have been a different story completely. So it's um. Yeah, I think there's certainly, I mean, it's a game of luck, isn't it? We, we talk about how football is stochastic and um, anything can anything can happen. And yesterday, the things that could have happened went our way. And it's certainly nice to have that happening at this point in the season. Sheffield United will have hoped it went the other way, no doubt, because they've now had three losses on the bounce and uh, it's starting to look a long way up for them, given the, the run that they've got. Um, but yeah, as you say, uh, nice for us to, to come out, um, out of there with, with the win. Well, we should talk about the structure. Um, Tom and I, Tom Woodhead and I, before we came on, were having a, just a chat about what the structure looked like. And it was certainly um, a very interesting and unique structure, I thought, from Leeds. And something that I think is worth talking about in general, in terms of some of the players I think who did quite well yesterday. Definitely benefited from the structure. And the question I would ask is, how often are we going to play a structure like this? How how often are players going to benefit from that that structure? So, uh, Richard Lang said, how did Leeds' formation tactics wise um, adapt to Sheffield United's setup? So, um, who wants to jump in with it with an answer here? Should we go? We'll go with you, Tom Alderson. How did what did you make of the uh, the setup yesterday?
4: I, I've got to be honest, I did struggle to follow how we were actually setting up, and it's only since looking back this morning that I've sort of managed to get my head around it because like Dallas he started he was like it was all over the place in the first half wasn't it and then kind of went left in the, in the second half but what was it I think it was Tom on the podcast uh, earlier in the weeks so like we were building up a lot on the right and just leaving Jack Harrison to do his own thing on the left which we've seen quite a lot before haven't we?
3: Yeah that was an interesting one I think it was what I found really interesting is we were building, we're doing a lot of overloading on the left rather than the right. We usually overload on the right, I and mean, there was a few examples of of us sort of tending that way. Um, with respect to Stuart Dallas, and I think that's the, the sort of key question: like, where did Stuart Dallas play? And I always think like the best the best way of answering this is was to talk about roles rather than positions. Um, so what was it that what was it that Bielsa had told Dallas to do yesterday? One of them was. Off the ball was to Mark um, Lundstrom, John Lundstrom, and so in, in that respect, you know, we had Phillips and and um, uh, Dallas side by side, both both sort of man marking the two uh, central midfielders that Sheffield United had. Um, But on the other hand, he was obviously expected to play as more of a sort of shuttling player, carrying the ball forward in attack, getting forward in attack and sort of aiming for, I would say, the areas behind the two wing backs that we had. So um, trying to get in and help out on the build-up with with Costa and Harrison. And one of the things I noticed a lot actually was that uh, Harrison and Dallas would swap positions quite a lot. So sometimes when Harrison dropped deep, um, to 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 track the, the opposition wing back. You would see Stuart Dallas often um, f- filling in the space that he'd vacated as well. Uh, and there were some times when he, he ended up, especially in the second half after um, Oliver Norwood came on at around the 64th minute, I think, and um, Sander Berger who had been playing in the central midfield position then moved into one of the wider midfield positions and so Dallas was then tasked with, with tracking him a little bit more, did a little bit more defending and and Berger was, was almost playing into that left hand side channel so I think we saw him popping up in a defensive situation on the left a lot more as well. Um, but yeah, the role that he was given was, you know, do your defensive work, um, help out, and then and then sort of track, shuttle in between um, Phillips and 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 click, and and try and help up in the build up play, particularly in wide areas. Um, and I think it largely largely worked quite well. Um, and that was something that you you sort of picked up on um, Tom Woodhead, as you've as, as Tom Alderson has mentioned, um, the the fact that we were quite happy to sort of leave big spaces on the left um for the most part and and just sort of cover them as and when was was needed um and i think that's largely what happened how did you feel about the structure um
1: yeah like uh specifically about Dallas who i think as we've sort of alluded to he's he really is the key piece of the puzzle here isn't he but um i th- i know on this podcast we've often been a little bit critical of Dallas's passing and uh some other elements of his game but i think what he is and certainly when Pablo Hernandez isn't playing is he is probably one of our most d- dynamic players in mm. that he's happy to drive forward he's happy to try and make things happen he he's he's got that sort of special move of uh, of starting off a 1-2 hasn't he like um like if, if he could progress the ball all the way from our goal to their goal just in one i get the impression that would be Dallas's sort of platonic ideal of what football should be um mm. so yeah i think when he plays in this role which you know we probably won't see it that often because it's very dependent on what the opposition are doing but I think he does provide a real thrust to the team when we're looking perhaps a bit stagnant in possession uh players will be passing it from side to side a little bit but Dallas when he gets the ball as I say he'll pass it to someone and he'll be straight off on a forward run so mm. I think it does bring a real sort of a dynamism and um yeah as I say thrust to that uh to the team in general just having him playing that role
3: I think the fact that he was marking John Lundstrom for the majority of the game actually gave him a a large amount of freedom, really. Um, Lundstrom isn't a player on the team who is, is, again, as you've said, you've used the word dynamic, and I I don't see Lundstrom as necessarily being the most dynamic of players. And so I think Dallas was given the sort of remit of making sure that he was kept quiet, and then when we were in possession of the ball, just sort of getting forward and helping out. And that's the sort of situation that Dallas really... Um, benefits from and i also think that you know when he did move out to the left because um because he wasn't there for most of the game in and a lot of uh, respects it, there was just a li- little bit more space for him to just get his foot on the ball and pass it around he was much better in the build-up his passing was was pretty excellent he didn't lose the ball much at all and I guess it raises it, I mean it does raise questions for me anyway in the long term is like where do you where does Dallas fit into this team um, which I think is a very harsh question to ask off the back of his performance yesterday but um, the way that I look at it is that he was filling a role there that needed filling and normally is seen as a left back and what we've seen this season in the Premier League and I know it's a small sample size but he's he certainly fulfilled the the that midfield role when it when he's needed in that game but in the left back position we've seen we've we've raised questions about his ability to do the build up that that is necessary and so i, I guess my question is you know when when if we do bring in someone else who is going to be able to play as a as a more of a shuttling eight um where does where, where does dallas fit in in the, in this system and and I guess the the attendant question there is um do we think that, that Dallas looked good mainly because of the system yesterday um and and if so where do we go from there tom alderson
4: i I do like him in this system in one of the wing back positions um so if it depends if you're going to keep ailing as like the right side and center back in the free because you could get dallas over there or uh, keep him at left wing back i i i don't um, i think i've said previously i don't like him at left back i just i don't think he's good enough um so if we, if we were playing 4141 as normal it, i'd probably say it's right back or nothing really which is a shame because he does such a good job
3: yeah i think we could talk about dallas all day long so we should we should move on um Let's move on to talk a little bit about the, the match flow. Um, we had a question from Simon who said, do you think we won that match through thi- fitness? We seem to get stronger through the second half. Um, Tom Woodhead, what would you answer to that?
1: I think it definitely was a contributory factor. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I, we probably did look a little bit fitter than them towards the end. Not hugely so, but possibly enough to help create those spaces that led to the to the goal. Um, mm. But obviously, there's there's a lot more going on. But um, yeah, I thought I thought I thought our fitness is always going to be a major part in any game. I think because even with the really top teams, I think you know we'll be in the highest strata of fitness in this league, no mm. problem. And so it's always going to be a factor in almost any game we play. I think
3: I would say that I did feel as though Sheffield United, with that with that substitution on the in the 74th minute to move Sanderberger out wide and and bring Ollie Norwood in. That was them going for it a little bit more. I think their they, their general match plan was to sort of absorb pressure in the first half and then come out and be a little bit more adventurous in after the after the 60th minute. Like I've said, and I think that probably comes down to it a certain extent as well. We just were given more space in their half in the second half as well.
1: I was quite surprised to see Norwood not playing really because, as far as I could tell from the bits I've watched of them over the past season or two, he's always been one of their key players. So hmm. it's, it's, it seems, but I, I mean, I know he's not played the other matches this season either, has he? But it, it seems odd to me when he, he always seemed to be the player that made them tick.
3: For me, like Sander Berger is probably their best player. And I think Sanderberger's Best position is probably that sixth position. But the problem with Sheffield United is that I don't think they have quite as much going forward as they maybe want to. And so there's they, they felt the need to move Berger into that wider position because he's a little bit, again, to use your word, a little bit more dynamic. He's going to get on the ball. He's very press resistant. He's going to just shuttle the ball into more dangerous areas. And I think he largely did that. Um, once he was shifted position. So I think that Oli Norwood is obviously a great player as well. So they they sort of felt, well, let's move Berger into a more dangerous position and we can rely on Norwood um, to, to do the job that he was doing. I would say that, you know, Matthias Click I thought, was kept pretty quiet in the first 60 minutes when he was largely marking Sander Berger and... Um, for me you know that he that that it was only once that move was made that that click actually started looking a little bit more dangerous um he got a lot more license to to move around when when norwood was was his player who was marking him really than than Berger. um so i I think that all sort of works out um we should talk about roberts um because we had loads of questions about roberts um Yeah so Arnie asked Roberts question mark very poor from me the game passed him passes him by at 10 what does he need to do to get involved more? Mickey P Kerr said (coughs) I think the Roberts 10 experiment looks dead in the water where do you think we need to strengthen if we have two more in? Um, There was loads of other questions about Roberts uh, all of the um, opinion that he is not working in any situation and I think the real damning thing for me for Roberts yesterday was that he was basically playing as a second striker and we've always said his strongest position is striker and there's a, there's a certain sense in which um you know you, you, it's hard to defend him when even when he's put in a sort of situation perhaps where you might expect him to thrive in um, he, he he doesn't do too well now with the caveat here I think that the structure in the game was quite unique again um, and you know Roberts was having to do a lot of pressing work on centre-backs and etc uh, etc et but he didn't really get into the game as, as creatively as as Rodrigo did when he um, uh, jumped in as well so Tom Alderson what was your what's your take on Roberts um, is it is the experiment failed um, as uh, Mickey Mickey Kerr puts it, or is it simply again a qu- question of you know is this system really the best for him?
4: I agree with Mickey that I don't think Roberts at ten is his best best position because like he does he doesn't provide like what Pablo or maybe Rodrigo to an extent I haven't seen enough of him yet. He's just not progressive. He doesn't create chances. And even playing there, um, he just he didn't really act as a second strike. Like I don't, did he have a shot yesterday? I don't. I didn't have a chance to look at the stats. Mm-hmm. Um. But that's kind of what you'd hope for. You'd get from him, bring uh, being in that position, and he just didn't bring that. And I felt when Rodrigo came on, we had just had so much more control, um, which um, and just see Rodrigo seemed to just connect the play together a lot more. Whereas with Roberts, he just feel like he just gets the ball and he'll just pass it almost like just to the side. I, don't, I just don't think he adds anything mm-hmm. to the team in that position.
1: If I can stand up for uh, Roberts a little bit. It's definitely true that it's not his best position. I think he, he tries a bit too hard sometimes to do something special. Like He'll try flicks and things when they're not really needed um, because I think he's trying to show what he can do, but it, it's, it doesn't come off a lot of the time. And What I think he is useful as is he knows where to stand in the right place, which sounds like a stupid thing, but I think that's why Bielsa is happy to play him for 45 minutes because he knows that his his off-the-ball work is mostly what Bielsa wants he's running into the right spaces he's marking the right people and Mm. it's more it's more when he gets the ball that I think the problems start to appear Mm. Um, and yeah you're definitely right that playing essentially as a second striker yesterday it was his chance to show what he can do and as I said I think he was trying a bit hard to show what he could do at times and Mm. it just needs to calm down a little bit I think and and it, it must be hard when you get injured so often, and usually he gets injured just when he's looking like, oh, maybe this player actually can uh, contribute like quite quite a decent amount to this team. So I feel I feel sorry for him because he's now behind two players as as a striker probably, and you know we're assuming that we're going to sign another central midfielder, so he's way down the pecking order there. But he's clearly got talent, um, and it's I, I I don't see him leaving the club, so. Uh, in this transfer window so it must be quite a difficult position for him to be in but I think it does say something that Bielsa is as I said willing to play him there for 45 minutes at all because if he wasn't doing the right things off the ball he would not be there
3: yeah no I do agree with that and I think again one of my bugbears at the moment is the fact that we always talk about like tens and eights and I don't think Bielsa really cares about that stuff that much I think we know what the system is, we know that he's going to have two central midfielders and we know that those midfielders are going to do what they need to do in that position to suit their best skill set. So for me, you know, if we'd have played that, if we'd have played that um, set up yesterday and we'd have had, I don't know, Adam Forshaw available, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that the system would have looked quite the same as it, as it did. Um, and I, I guess with that in mind, a lot of the criticism that then comes of, of Roberts comes from the fact that people expect him to be a 10 um, or they expect him to be creative in that sort of situation. And I'm, I'm not always convinced that, that that's necessarily what Bielsa wants. And also, yeah, to, to back up what you're saying, Tom um, Woodhead, is that I think Roberts, Roberts' game yesterday was all about off-the-ball movement. It was all about um, how do we how do we deal with the fact that when Sheffield United have the ball in their possession, they've got three centre-backs and we've got one striker and the solution to that was to push up Roberts onto the outside onto one outside centre-back Bamford to push up on on the other and then we had Click sitting on Sanderberga Um, But then shuttling between um, Ampadu and and Berger and trying to close the passing lane down. So to a certain extent, you know, how can someone like Tyler Roberts be expected to be the sort of creative linchpin that people expect of him as a 10 when a lot of the time he's sort of having to think all the time, how am I positionally with respect to where the back three are? Um, It's not quite so simple as just being like you're a 10 because for me, like a ten is is a sort of creative, free spirit player who is given license to to do what they want. So it's certainly a, a tricky situation for for him to do. Yeah, with.
1: and I I think in theory a player like Tyler Roberts playing in that kind of position in our system, if he, if the things that he want that he tries actually come off, it, it could be quite devastating. But you're talking kind of like Lionel Messi uh, or Mbappe sort of levels of stuff, you know, dribbling through two or three players and then that may, you know if 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 some of those uh, dribbles that he attempts quite often like actually came off they would look great but they mm. just don't he's just not quite quite good enough for it i don't think mm. at the moment
3: with that said you know when he plays as a lone striker i mean he did it the second half of the fulham game for the for a long stretch he mm. looks fine yeah. um and, and 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 that's kind of the difficulty with him is that how do you get him into the into the team when you know the position same with rodrigo right when the strongest position they're probably going to play in is 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 already been taken up by Bamford, but
1: sorry, I think what he really needs is a year without being injured. No matter how much he plays, you know, even if he's only playing here and there, I think it would do him the world of good to have a year where he doesn't have a serious injury and he just stays fit.
3: Yeah, we did have a few questions about Rodrigo um, because obviously, that halftime Rodrigo comes on and replaces. Um, uh, Roberts, as we expected him to do, um, and I think like, people largely thought that Rodrigo um, had a good game. And again, with the caveat that you know Rodrigo tried a lot, and it's very easy to sort of focus on players who um, are obviously trying to do things as as having a good work rate or whatever. Um, a couple of questions: Richard says Rodrigo influenced the game with clever ball playing skill, but his link up with Bamford isn't quite there yet. Seems to be doing. They seem to be. Trying to do the same things. Is this a potential long-term partnership or not? Matt Duncan said Rodrigo looking looking stronger in build-up rather than an out-and-out nine. If we were to sign sign Rodrigo de Paul, could we start uh, Rodrigo de Paul, Rodrigo and Bamford? Um, Tom Alderson, let's go to you. How did you feel that Rodrigo was when he came on uh, yesterday?
4: Um, I thought he did really well. He just he the um, the best example of it is obviously for the goal where he he demanded the ball which um you always like to see and then uh, obviously the pass out to Harrison which was uh, for the cross but I just thought we when with him in on um with him on the field we just he just sort of like connected the midfield and attack which I don't think we had in the first half um and he was he was quite happy to take it under pressure um which put like Roberts and I don't, don't want to go back to Roberts but like he wasn't as happy to do that I just think um we just looked more sort of dominant and controlling with him on the the field and I thought he did really
3: well. Again, I would probably add the caveat that you know we what we know about Rodrigo is that he's played with in a two striker system for most of his career, and certainly the best times in his career have been in a two striker system. And I think yesterday, probably the issue came from trying to play Roberts in a two striker system, who's not used to playing in a two striker system. So that when Rodrigo came on, we saw the best of Rodrigo and probably the worst of Roberts. Um, And again, this is why I always want to come back to this this question that you know we're going to go on to talk about. Robin Koch as well but these three players are the players I think a lot of the fans were raving about yesterday um Stuart Dallas Rodrigo and Robin Koch and I think that the reason why those three players had good games is because that system suits them and so the question is when we move into back into our normal system which we're who are we going to play that system against we may play against someone like Wolves because Wolves play a a 3-4-3 we'll probably play against Brighton as well because they play um a back three as well but beyond that I think most teams will be playing um uh, different systems, and um, we won't be seeing that that sort of approach. So, I guess my, my my sort of question is, how to what extent do you agree with that? Because I don't think it's necessarily given that I'm right. There, it could could well be the case that you know we've just seen good good performances from players who are going to play well for the rest of the season but um, yeah Tom Woodhead how do you feel about the, the fact that you know this system is very specialised we've barely seen it at all um, I've certainly I would characterise it as a 3 five, 2 basically we match them for a 3 five, 2 largely and we're not going to see that happen very much so what's your thinking on the way that the system might um, enhance certain players and and not others?
1: Certainly I think in the case of uh, Rodrigo it, it, it could only help that he's playing in a two striker system. Um, I I'm, 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 and Cock as well I guess probably benefits from not being surrounded by players when he's got the ball at the back and being in the middle of that back three. Um, I can see that that it, it you know he, he plays better when he has a bit of time to look up and pick a pass. Um, I uh, regarding the uh, um, could you know could we fit all these different players into the system? Uh, you know, if we—I I mean, it looks like Rodrigo De Paul probably isn't happening, but we, mm. we are looking to sign a midfielder of that ilk or or someone. Mm. Um, I almost think it. Bielsa finds ways to to put the players that are that are playing well in the team. I think mm. um, uh, he'll find solutions to problems. He spends his entire life finding solutions mm. to those kind of problems. So uh, it might be something we've not thought of, but I think he would find a way to have the players who are playing well in the team like you know he won't want to drop Bamford at the moment will he and if Rodrigo plays well he'll want to keep him in the team as well so um, I think he'll find a way to do it uh, whether that even involves Rodrigo possibly moving out wide or um, something like that so it's not something that I worry about as such because I think having a stronger squad with more depth can only be a good thing really at this point
3: the name which seems to be doing the rounds at the moment is uh, Michael Cuisance from Bayern um, young French player um, it, it, say we bought him and we were playing him yesterday where would he have fit into the team Tom Alderson
4: I don't want his clicks position it's probably I haven't seen enough of him to say but you would probably be replacing click but then that's unlikely to happen
1: why couldn't he play the role Dallas was playing I mean he's left-footed right so and, and Dallas was mostly in midfield anyway
4: I'm not sure, I'm not sure to be honest. I don't know how good he is defensively if he could play that position that Dallas played. I suppose Dallas was basically playing alongside Phillips in the first half wasn't it? Mm. So yeah. I can't I can't see why not.
3: Yeah, I think that he would fit fitted fine into the Dallas position. Uh, I guess that's kind of why I'm asking this question because d- to me it sort of feels like at the moment a lot of the the situations we find ourselves in are oh we've got this selection headache. What are we going to do? Who are we going to fill there? And we're like, oh, once again, Bielsa has come through and solved this problem that we didn't think was possible. Um, but, you know, bringing someone in like Cuisance, I think just sort of takes that away. And suddenly you're in this situation where you're like, oh, we've got a genuinely elite midfielder here. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to sort of, I'm interested in sort of the impact that's going to have on the squad in general, um, because it feels like this is a problem we had all last season, right? Once Foreshore, Foreshore got injured. We were in this sort of scenario where we were like, well, I guess that's Dallas in midfield again. Um, And I, I guess we're going to be in a position where that isn't necessarily going to be an issue anymore.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
3: slash host. Anyway, let's move on to talk about the defensive side of things a little bit more, because we've already mentioned Robin Koch. Um, Dan Holdsworth said, lots of love for Koch on the timeline. I thought he did well, particularly late, late on with Sharp. Be interested to hear your take on his game. Uh, and Jamie Smith says, other than the two penalties, was there any massive difference between Cox's performance today and his first two? He looked solid so far to me, just unlucky with the decisions. Um, Tom, uh, Tom Woodhead, we'll go with you.
1: I just think he, he looks a bit more confident in everything he does, um, a little bit more sure of what he should be doing and when. Uh, I thought he tracked their players really well yesterday. There was one occasion, I can't remember which player it was, who got a little bit away from him, but he managed to recover and tracked him basically all the way across our penalty box Um and yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was solid, uh, and his passing was good. Uh, as I said, I think playing in the middle of a back three is good for him with his passing because I don't think he's he's not necessarily the best at quick, sharp interplay um, mm. at the back, like like some of our players are good at. Um, like Ailing's quite good at that, like little quick, sharp passes and then and then running. Whereas I think Cox's better when he has a second to look up and consider the pass.
3: Mm.
1: So yeah, I thought I thought he played well.
3: Tom Alderson, how did you feel about Cox? In the last three games, compared to the just the last game in in isolation,
4: you can see him just uh, getting more used to the system as he's played game by game. He just seems more confident with the the man marking and like when to engage. I don't from memory, I don't think he had he did particularly well in the first game, but no one's going to do that well at Anfield, are they? Um, but yeah, it's just it's just nice to see him sort of becoming more confident with the system and also having someone that's. Uh, good in the air because we had, apart from cooper like that was probably the only thing you could hold against white um and that would i think that definitely showed up yesterday
3: interesting that dan mentions it here actually that he did well particularly late on with sharp and i felt as though once sharp came on he was um he was a lot more he was playing off the last man a little bit more and i think it was it was easier for for cock to get his head around that i think with david mcgoldrick and a much more line player in my opinion and, and i'm going to touch on him actually in the video um Analysis because he's he's such an interesting player for from a from a Leeds man marking perspective because he's just so fluid and dynamic moves all over the place and so causes a huge problem for for Leeds's back line do you follow him deep into his own half and and risk you know being open at the back um, once Billy Sharp came on he was much more um, sort of a standard striker and much easier for him for him to just sort of get um, eased onto by cock so cock was just sort of um, getting touch tight and then sort of putting a leg in or, or, or nodding the ball away from him when it came into him and I think that made a big big difference as well um, and I guess we should we should talk about Melier as well because Melier had a, a fantastic game now we did have comments on the, on the Twitter feed saying what a shame it was that Darren wasn't here to <laughs> sing the praises of Melier after that game and so at great expense to ourselves, I actually have got um, a surprise for you in that uh, Darren is now has sent me <laughs> in a clip to, to sing the praises of Melier, so this is what Darren had to well, say. He's
1: accepting an, an Oscar from a film set somewhere <laughs> in the Bahamas.
3: <laughs> exactly. So here is, uh, without further ado, is Darren Driver.
5: Hey everyone, um, I couldn't be on the podcast this week because I'm uh, going to London with my wife to look at some art. So um, someone will have had to take the hit in the introduction for me. So cheers, whichever one of you did that. I couldn't let Melier's performance yesterday pass without my comment, um, especially after John saying on Twitter that I'd be insufferable on the podcast this week when he knew full well that I wouldn't be able to make it. So instead, in a pretty insufferable move, I thought I'd send this through to celebrate the, the granite wrists, the hands like shovels, the solidity. The reflexes, but most of all, the totally unflappable nature of our young French number one. That was a really, really, really classy performance, especially after he made a mistake last week, which led to the uh, Mitrovic goal. That save, man. That save. You won't see a better save than that all season, honestly. Um, Just incredible. Uh, I also wanted to just quickly give a shout out for Dallas, who I criticised heavily last week, but who was brilliant yesterday, as was Cooper and Bamford and Cock and Ayling and Rodrigo and Click and Harrison. Anyway, have a good pod, lads, and I'll uh, catch you next week when I've had my fill of culture and I just want to talk about football again.
3: Cheers, lads. Bye. So guys, let's talk a little bit about, about Mellier. Um, obviously, he had that world-class save um, that we've already mentioned from John Lundstrom. Um, how did we feel about him in general? We had a question from Kevin Forsyth Bates. He said, do we actually have the biggest goalkeeper talent in the world? Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but we've, we've certainly got a talent on our hands. Um, Tom Tom Woodhead, sing the praises of uh, Elan Mellier.
1: Yeah, he was superb, wasn't he? Um, the, the, the first... Uh brilliant save that he made when uh, Lundström was in um, in a almost one-on-one situation that was one where I, I almost had my head hung already because I thought this is definitely going in it was one of those mm. where you just resigned to it and when he made that like honestly I can't think in the last 10 or 15 years honestly of a better save from a Leeds keeper than that and, and mm. I know that sounds hyperbolic but and there might be one but I can't think of one and I also thought in general it was Mellier's best game for Leeds that I've seen possibly Arsenal was very good but there was no pressure on that game um it, it was it you know he, he and he conceded a goal in that game as well so yeah I thought his, his distribution was superb yesterday as well uh he seems to have this knack where he knows just how long to wait uh, before passing it, it which you know can be a bit terrifying at times but it was uh and and his his decision making of when to come out and uh sweep up loose balls and things seems to be getting better and better uh he looks like yeah we do possibly have a real talent on our hands and to look at it in very awful cynical terms this looks like possibly someone we paid five million pounds for who could potentially be worth 30 40 million pounds very soon
3: yeah, I'm just looking through his stats now in terms of distribution. He attempted 41 passes and completed 38. So there's three misplaced passes and all of those three misplaced passes were long passes. So just remarkable um, distribution. And actually, what one of the things I've noticed in um, looking at some of the underlying numbers and stats is that we use our goalkeeper in the build-up play a lot more now. Um, I don't know whether or not that's because we're under a lot more pressure from, from opposition presses, uh, but we weren't using our goalkeeper. Goalkeeper that much in the in the build-up phases last season and this season we're using them a lot more um, and so under pressure um, he's 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 just absolutely fantastic um, distributionally and we made I made I made comments last week just saying oh both of the chances that we were a little bit iffy about that he gave. Um, to Fulham last week um looked like he just wasn't getting down quick enough there was the um there was the penalty to uh, Mitrovic and the um Bobby Reed shot, and he just got down <laughs> fantastically against john lundstrom so um yeah that allayed a lot of my fears as well so I think if we see Melier carrying on like this there won't be any worries about having him in in goal going forward. Um, in an attacking sense, actually, there wasn't that much um, in, in the way of questions. There weren't that many um, comments made about it, anyone, really, um, apart from Jan Pervader. So, Miss G, LUFC said, can we talk about anything on Perveda, please? Seemed to have a lot of fizz and ability, but it was apparent just how many touches he wanted to take before um, making a decision. It reminded me of early Harrison. Tom Alderson, what did you make of Jan Pervader yesterday?
4: Um, I completely agree um, that he, just, he looked like he was struggling with the... Because he's, he's playing more under 23 games. It looked like he was struggling with the, the gap between um, under 23s and senior football. They just expected to have more time. And I just, he, ne- he never really looked like doing anything uh, when, when he had the ball. And I, th- I think there was a question earlier about where do we need to recruit if someone came in. I still think we're a winger short because it would have been nice to have someone like a Ryan Kent or just someone that could come on that you think can do something in that position. Because Costa and Harrison have been playing well, but I just, we don't really have options um, out wide?
1: Uh, I think Tom's been a little bit harsh. Um, I, I thought he did actually look quite dangerous. What was what annoyed me was his refusal to pass. Uh, there was one time when he made a really good run and then had a shot, uh, and that really annoyed me. It felt, again, a little bit like Roberts, that he was trying a bit too hard to make something special happen rather than just playing his part in the move. Um, I, in general, I think he looks like a real talent, and what we need to find out is where the he's going to be able to cope with the physicality or not because I think I think the technical ability is there and I think if he calms down a bit the football brain seems to be there as well so um I'm I I agree it'd be nice to bring in a winger but equally I I, I like the idea of Perveda getting some game time and I Bielsa doesn't really think this way but uh I half wondered if he brought him on because he's going to be playing against Man City next week because obviously Jack Harrison can't play uh next week so be interesting to see if he starts that game or if he goes for Alioski. I know this isn't the preview pod, but
3: <laughs> I think I sort of sit in between in, in between those two positions. I think Perveda looks exciting. He looks he he does look like early Harrison. He does want to sort of drive at players. He does want to I think he's probably I think he's probably better decision-making wise than, than Harrison, if, if that's not if that's not sacrilege. But um, at this point, anyway, the, in their careers, um, and would like to see that imp- decision-making improving. But you know, a lot of the time, these players are brought in because because not almost because they. are young enough to not do the decision making thing they just sort of do a lot of things on instinct and I think at this point you know when you're that quick and that young and you're that good on the ball you can get away with a lot of that I feel like anecdotally in my own fairly pathetic amateur career I, I was much more instinctive and instinctual as a young player and then as I got older and Players got quicker than me. I then had to learn how to sort of think my way around a little bit more. And I think the think the same is probably true of him. One one criticism I would have of Ada is that he's he's too left footed uh, at the moment. In terms of you can see, I felt like Ender Stevens got the measure of him quite quickly when he realised he's always going to try and get onto his left foot. Um, and you want to have your you want to have your wingers be able to go both ways, um, just because it, it puts a little bit of uncertainty in in the minds of. of the players that you're up against
1: I think out of all the players that we have that you know we, we try and move around and put in weird positions Perveda is the one that I wouldn't mind seeing in that um sort of attacking central midfield position just to see what it looks like because I don't know I think I think more so than Roberts he, he's got the sort of football brain to cope with it but again maybe possibly not physical enough at the moment
3: Right, let's move on to... I was trying to do positives and negatives at the end. Um, The positives I have was for Stuart Dallas, and I feel like we've already talked about Stuart Dallas a lot. Um, So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. Um, there, other than to say we thought that dallas was was brilliant, and it was it was great having him in that position able to play that position and um Darren Fletcher yesterday on match of the day rightly giving him um praise for for his his performance yesterday um in terms of the negatives again don 't like to focus on the negatives, but there are a few questions that were raised um First one from James Murray-Wood um, How do you see Urente fitting into this team? The square ball I believe we're considering Ailing to be more at risk when we move to a back three given how assured Cock is starting to look after Saturday will be also be flexible in his requirements for three centre-backs against two centre-forwards um, Who wants to jump in and answer this one? Uh, Tom Alderson? They're
4: probably right that Ailing would be the one that would drop out if we went to a, a, a back three but I don't think it'd be him out of the team I think he'd probably move over to right wing back so that would be probably have a Costa or, well, one of Costa or Dallas, you think, would drop out uh, for Lorente. Because um, L- Lorente, would he play in the middle, or would you think that, that position probably belongs to Coch now?
3: I think he would probably play on the outside right, just from what I've seen of him at um, Sociedad last season. He did play on the outside of a, right of a back three, but. I don't know. I mean, my question would be: Wouldn't you just stick with Ailing in the the back? Yeah, of the I,
1: back I absolutely would. I'm the biggest fan of Ailing in a, on the right of a back three. Going, I I think it perfectly suits his skill set. Um, yeah, uh, the only reason that it looks a bit shaky sometimes is that he's getting up the pitch, and that's inherent to what he's doing. So, um, I, I I love him in a back three, and I I, I wouldn't I, look the, from the bits I've seen of Juvente. He seems to be um, more of a classical centre-back in that he won't mm. make those forward runs which might be useful in certain situations but I think in general with our build-up play and the way that we would like to attack having Ailing almost be able to be this faux full-back yeah. slash wing-back yeah. slash central defender it adds an element to our game that certainly now that we don't have Ben White um, I'd be loath to lose
3: no I totally agree with that and um, I mean, we played Sheffield United yesterday and they're the they are the paramount case of playing this this sort of um, overlapping fullback uh, centre backs, and that's basically the way that the Ailing was playing yesterday. And you can just drop Calvin Phillips back in and, and cover if you need to. But it's it's just nice having the option of of a mobile centre back who you can get forward and help in an attacking sense, right? Whereas if we went with Cooper. Koch and Yurente, those back three. That back three is just staying as a back three. you're not getting any sort of um, dynamism from them whatsoever. Um, so for me, I would happily stick Ailing as a as a right centre back. And then the question is, how do you fit things around? So I, to be honest, I think that Urente is just going to be used as centre back cover. He will get games because Cooper isn't going to make it through the season with that injury. He's already had one injury this season. Um, and yeah, I, I, I suppose it's going to be a question of. Kock and Durente sort of competing against each other in training so that should the the knees arise uh, that they'll both be ready to play um, but I don't necessarily see a problem with that to be honest um, I think I'm happy with the way that the, the back line is at the moment right um we had a question from Sydney Roth Diamond who says should Harrison look to get an early ball in more often can't help f- feeling we would benefit with the runners into the box we have um with the runners into the box we have or is it a Bielsa ploy to have him delay so he can get into the right shape to restrict potential counters Tom Woodhead
1: um it's a tricky one isn't it because sometimes uh, i think Harrison does have games where he gets the ball in like quickly most times and then we're just moaning about his crossing so mm. um, that was a, it Was obviously a beautiful cross for Bamford's head possibly after the one for Roof in the derby first leg of the playoff semi the best cross I can remember Harrison producing mm. for Leeds um, I think we all know that Harrison sometimes dithers on the ball a bit too much and, and isn't decisive enough in his decision making um, I think the balance on the whole is probably about right um, it's just that sometimes the decision is is wrong one way or the other if that makes sense like his his, is mixture between quick delivery and keeping the ball or waiting as it's about
3: right but sometimes he does it wrong in both in both camps if that makes sense in answering the question why do we not go more direct more often I do think it is because um it's a be elsewhere to have him delay, but I don't think it's to do with restricting potential counters. I think it's more to do with attack. Um, it's about giving players a chance to hit the same hit the channels that he wants players to hit. Um, and I think that um, the goal yesterday is a good example of that because you see the ball goes over Rodrigo's head and finds Bamford. They're in different channels, and you just give that extra cover so that if the if the cross is slightly short for Bamford, then Rodrigo puts it in there'll be someone at the back post um, and largely speaking against a back four, you'll have five channels to attack and against a back three, you'll have four. And so um, I think a lot of it is to do with, particularly last season was to do with this sort of positional play where you make sure that you're creating, you're finding spaces between uh, back lines and, and really attacking them. And I think, if you were to play the ball in too early, a lot of the time you're you're, you're just making it much harder for yourself to create good chances. Um, so I suspect that's where that comes from. We did have a question from Joshua Annis Brown saying we really solid enough at left back. I know Dallas didn't really play there, but chances came from that area. It's a concern for me. Well, we've talked about this um, a little bit in the in the in the podcast so far, but yeah, how much of a concern is the left back area, Tom Alderson? How much um, do you think that we need to bring in a? A left back in the remainder of the window.
4: I do think we we could do with a a proper left back or a a fit Barry Douglas if one of those exists. But it's <laughs> it's probably as rare as a fit Adam Forshaw. Sure. Um, I think yeah, D- Dallas. I just um, mentioned previously. I just I don't think he's good enough to, as a pure defensive fullback. But in terms of like the system we played yesterday and um. As a wing back, I, I do like him there and I'd be quite happy for him to stay there.
1: I can certainly see that it would be good for us to sign a left back. What I, I think on balance, I'd rather buy a midfielder and a winger than a midfielder and a left back, even though buying a left back potentially upgrades the team more. I just think if you want to get a really good left back who's going to be a definite first choice, you want to, you need to be spending like 20 million or something. And mm. I don't know, I feel like I'd rather have an extra option on the wing than than do that because I think we could get a winger for you know, more like 10, 15 million. But then again, this is getting into talking about finances. And I always think when football fans talk about finances, 90% of it's bullshit because you you don't actually know the ins and outs of most of this stuff most of the time. So maybe yeah. I should just shut up.
3: Well, there you have it. Looking forward, obviously we've got Manchester City next week. We will be doing our regular uh, preview podcast on Wednesday. Um, other than that, the under-23s have finished playing I think they were winning quite comfortably I know that Sam Greenwood got a hat-trick um, they were finishing while we started recording this podcast so I'm not entirely sure of the final score um, so there's nothing else really going on in the world of Leeds United um, after after today's game and then uh, the game on Saturday Um We'll be back, as I said, on Wednesday. If, if you can't wait until then, we do have plenty of bonus material available on Patreon. Patreon is a subscribing system which allows you to get hold of bonus um, content that we don't put out for free. Um, I'm putting out a video analysis later today, uh, just looking back over the game yesterday, some of the, the tactical um, realities there and also some of the individual performances to have a look at too. Uh, we also have podcasts on there and written stuff as well so if that sounds interesting to you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we three people who have done that are ben carpenter joseph ritchie and simon harrow so thank you guys for getting involved all that remains for me to do though is to say thank you to tom woodhead thank you and thank you to tom alderson cheers and we'll be back on wednesday